Well, welcome. Great to have you guys here. We trusted you guys have just had a blessed week and uh, just uh, excited about what God is doing in the kingdom and what God is doing in each and every one of our lives this morning. I know it's been different. I, I was sitting here thinking this morning while the worship team were doing worship, how things have changed. I think the guys know that when uh, when we started with the the pandemic quite 18 months ago, I think we spent so much time trying to be so professional in this live feed and we try to spend money and all these kinds of things and uh, just this morning I just watched the guys realize how sometimes just to come back to the basics is just the most amazing stuff. You know, sometimes we don't all need the fashion, the lights, the camera, the action and all these massive sound equipment. Sometimes it's just, you know, I think God just sees our heart in what we do. So if we're not as professional as anybody else, we're not going to apologize for that. Um, because this is just who we are, we're a family church, yes. and so I'm really not going to be spending your money just to make sure that we have a TV presentation production this morning for you guys, because I know you guys' hearts, and I know that you guys understand the season that we're in. About five weeks ago, I, we had a chat in the office, and uh, we're chatting about the certain sermons that I wanted to preach, and, and uh, I just had to trust on God in, in, when, when it was that He wanted me to preach, and I and I said to this staff probably about five weeks ago, I want to speak on, I want to chat around the Good Samaritan, you know, but it just never came up. It just never came to that place where I felt like, okay, now God said, good, this is the time for you to chat. Um, on Luke 10, you guys know, on the Good Samaritan. And just amazingly, as I've been uh, watching the television, I think most of us have been watching the television and most of us have been watching what has been happening in KwaZulu Natal and what's been happening in Gauteng. I think Friday and Saturday, and Sunday was probably one of the most devastating days in our nation ever. Yeah. I've never in the 50 odd years that I've been on earth in South Africa experienced what we did. Um, and, and it was sad, it was heartbreaking. I at one stage just sat on my bed and watched TV and I was so emotional about the state of what was happening. Um, and, and yet that word keep coming, came, came to me, that Romans 8.28, and God's going to work all things for the good. And I think at no times we, we watch what's happening in the world around us and we, we look around and we forget that scripture, we get that in the God says he's going to turn things. He's going to turn things for the good of those who love and believe in him. And I think it was a real time where the loving and the believing started to come in. Um, and, and as we switch over the TV to Monday and Tuesday and watch this week unfold, um, there were times when I was so emotional about what I saw our people doing, the getting together, the, the cleaning together, the, you know, white, black, Indian color. We, there was no color, there was no uh, uh, ethnic uh, division, there was no financial division. Every person got in and said, you know what, this is our country. And for me, I want to say this to you, it's probably the biggest statement that this nation has ever made in its history. That as they pulled together, they declared that we're a nation and we're prepared to defend the democracy that we have. Yeah. And it was just amazing. It was just heartwarming to see what had transpired out of this horrible situation. And, and you know what? I'm going to honor the guys in leadership on that, even in the Eastern Cape and that. You know, and I want to thank God because I think it was God that stopped that thing from spreading to the rest of the provinces. Yeah. I, I, I think it was just the way we prayed and the way we see God and, and it was absolutely, I, I believe, I said to Chantal last night, I believe it was absolute miracle that it didn't spread. 
I think it was a given that they wanted to destabilize KwaZulu and they thought the rest of the nation would follow. And little did they know that uh, this nation is proud of who we are yeah. and proud of our country. And so it's been really amazing. But, but I want to speak about that because, you know, whenever we speak about a good Samaritan in, in our t- today's terms, we speak about somebody that helps someone else in need. You know, whenever we find a guy that, you know, goes and helps a family that's in need or a family that's in crisis, we always use the term, he's a real good Samaritan. You know, it's a real good what he did. And yet there's a story in the Bible, I'm going to chat you and I'm going to break it down for you this morning and believe what God says to me in this parable because it's quite an interesting parable because it's not just a parable, it's not just a story um, that Jesus is telling the disciples and, and the, 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 the lawyers at the time. What he's doing is actually forecasting, it's a prophetic statement of what is happening. And you need to grab a hold of what is happening this morning because there's a whole lot of underlying things that sometimes we miss. And sometimes we just want to, we just want to read the Bible, just, okay, this is how we read the Bible. We never take time just to understand what God is saying. So if you want to turn with me this morning to Luke chapter 10, and I'm going to be reading from verse 25, and uh, I want you guys just to, to hear what the Spirit of God has to say to all of us this morning. The Scripture starts off like this, and it says, And behold, a certain lawyer... So you've got to understand the word says there was an educated man that stood in the crowd as Jesus was teaching. And the lawyer stood up to test him. Not to test himself, but to test Jesus. So you've got to understand this lawyer gets up, Jesus is spinning all this stuff and he's speaking about you know, rejoicing the spirit of God and we've just seen these signs, wonders and miracles and the 72 have just returned to Jesus and they're so excited, they say you cannot believe you know, God, when uh, Jesus, when we prayed, people were healed and demons fled. It was an amazing time. And so Jesus comes. It's almost like this, this celebratory thing that's happening. And in the middle, now this, this learned man, this lawyer of the law, stands up and he almost wants to almost, um, what is it, what's the right word for it? Almost um, what Jesus was saying, he wants to nullify. He wants to like, you know what, you don't know what you're talking about. So he tries to catch him and he says this, Teacher, what shall I do? to inherit eternal life. And he said to him, what is written in the law and what is your reading of it? So Jesus says to him basically, so he asks Jesus the question, he says, what is it that I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus doesn't answer the question, Jesus turns around and says to him, so what does the scripture say, one, and what is your interpretation of the scripture? And I think it's important there because Jesus touches on something very important in our lives, is that often we can have the scripture but we don't understand the interpretation of it. And we never dig deep into what it is that the scripture has. Because now we just want to read the scripture and you know, in our daily reading and just browse through it. But we never get to the understanding of what it is. I think we dealt with John 15 a few weeks ago and got the understanding of what it is when Jesus said he will give us whatever we ask in his name. So in any case, the lawyer comes up and he says, and he answers, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, Yes, you have answered rightly. Do this and live. So Jesus gives him the example. He says, Well, you know the law, and the law says that you love me with all your heart, da 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 da, and you love your neighbor, you will have long life. And Jesus almost shuts it down right there in that sentence. Alright, and he said to him, um, You answered correctly. But he wanted to justify himself, and he said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Now, now I want to grab a hold of a few points this morning because I'm not going to have time to, to run through everything here. 
But just in the situation and in the place we're in in our nation and, and in church life where we aren't fellowshipping one to another, where we aren't meeting, where we aren't, you know, just getting to get to know each other. And uh, I think that's the one thing we all said this morning is that we miss the fellowship. We miss the, hey, how are you? We miss the eye contact. It's almost like we, we become a hermit, you know, we're all just living in our own little space and we just pop our heads at every night and just going to see the sun shining, with, you know, and we almost crawl back into that hole again. But Jesus carries on, and, and this guy wants to justify himself and say, oh, but no, but I don't agree with you. Basically what he was saying, I don't agree with you. But he doesn't touch it. He doesn't come back to the place of saying, um, so question, love the Lord your God all your heart. The funniest thing is he comes and says, yeah, but who's my neighbor? And he misses the entire thing. And I think so often in church life, we spend most of our time trying to justify Scripture yeah. to suit us. Let's think about it. Let's think about it. You know, whenever we meet Christians, and let me just be frank, whenever we meet lukewarm Christians, whenever we meet lukewarm Christians, whenever we meet Christians um, that have, have backslidden, whenever we've met men and women that really need Jesus in their lives, but they're not prepared to give up what they have for the cost of the cross, there's a gap called justification there. And they will say things like, yeah, but there's nothing wrong if a Christian does this. No, but there's nothing wrong if a Christian does this. No, but you don't understand these two love each other. And you don't So we justify our bad behavior. Constantly we justify our bad behavior. Constantly we justify our actions. And somehow we think that, well, you know, we can just do this, but you know, you know, I need, I've only got drunk once or twice, Lord, you know, kind of thing this week. Um, you know, I've been a good week so far. We justify the word of God. We don't live by the word of God. Jesus said to him, he said to the, the, the little man, what does the word say? And the, the little man quotes it and he says, okay, now look and do that. But immediately there's this justification that needs to come into your life and my life while we aren't in the word of God, while we aren't spending time in prayer, while we aren't fellowshipping one another, while we aren't living a godly life, while we aren't doing the calling of the, uh, living in the purpose and the plan that God has for us. And it's terrible that we're in that place. This was 2,000 years ago, and 2,000 years ago, same thing was happening. He was trying to justify a simple thing, who is my neighbor? And, and we've got to be so careful as believers, what it is that we want to justify in our lives. Because you've got to understand something. When the word says something, the word says something. There's not, there's not this, this, this place where the human interpretation needs to come into it. If the word says it, that settles it, then we believe it. But he carries on and he says this. When you justify, who is my neighbor? And Jesus answers and says this to him, and I want to break this down. He says, a certain man. A certain man. So you understand, this is not a parable. Jesus is telling a story here. Do you know, in the parables you would go, you would start the parable of completely different. You know, once there was, or this, that. But this time he's specific, and he looks at the man and he says, listen to me, there was a certain man. And so when he speaks about there was a certain man, this is just not some parable that he's about to share with this man. He says, there was a certain man that went from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now bear with me because I'm going to explain this to you as I go along. There was a certain man that went from Jer Jerusalem to Jericho on a travel. Now you're going to say, whenever we speak about Jerusalem, we speak about the presence of God. Whenever we speak about Jericho, we speak about the world. And so Jesus says to the man, there was a certain man that basically had left the presence of God and was traveling back to the world. 
He was totally back away from what it is that he knew and he understood. And we find a lot of us in that situation daily. We daily we find ourselves more walking out of the presence of God. Why? Because sometimes the things of the world look so much easier and better. You know, we've got this concept in the world that if you're a Christian, you can't have fun. If you're a Christian, you can't do anything. They think we're these guys that walk around with a lap in our head, Bibles under arms, and, and that's just where we are. But they don't think we can have the fun. But yes, there's a certain guy. And that certain guy that he speaks about church is often you and me. He's speaking about that certain guy, that certain girl. He's me and you. And he says, and there this man was. He was traveling, leaving the presence of God in Jerusalem and walking towards the world. All right. He says, and what happened was he fell amongst thieves. We know John 10, 10 says the devil comes to rob, to kill, and to destroy. And so it's basically as he's walking, the enemy comes and attacks him and amongst thieves and strips him of his clothing. Now you understand something. The one word says strips him of his remnants, strips him of his identity. And so mostly of what we wear is our identity. In those days, the scribes would wear a certain thing. The Pharisees would wear a certain thing. The lawyers would wear a certain thing. Just like in South Africa that our army wears one uniform, our police one uniform, our nurse one uniform, and says it strips him of his remnants, strips him of his clothes, strips him of who he really is. And I think it's significant in this thing because so often when we leave the presence of God and we move towards the world, the very first thing that we always get robbed of is our identity and our calling. When you are in a bad place, when you are in a hard place, when you are going through depression and hardship and, and all these kinds of things, the first thing the enemy will rob you of is your joy. The second thing will rob you of is your identity. Stephen, are you really worshiping God the way you should? Brandon, are you really a youth leader? You know, what is he going to do there? When he strips our remnants, when he strips off who we are as a person, the word of God says that what happens when that happens, they strip him of his clothes, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And we love the term half dead because the half dead appears in every single translation there is. And half dead simply means this they left him alive, but spiritually was dead. So here's this man that travels from the presence of God. He's walking away from the things of God. He's going to the world. As he goes to the world, the him, seals his dignity, so wounds him, and in the, in the, at the end of the day, leaves him, the word says, half dead. And we've got to understand something, that that is exactly where we are. When you and I are not in an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, we are fed. Because you see, two halves make a whole. And it's important to understand something, that as much as I live like this, I need to live in the Spirit of God as well. But when the Spirit of God gets removed from me, the term goes that I'm half dead. That I'm physically alive, but spiritually dead. And the word says that they leave him spiritually dead on the side of the road. Alright? He says, now listen to this. He says, um, leaving him off there. He says, now by chance. You've got to pick this up. There's two occasions that Jesus speaks about. He says, now by chance. A certain priest came down the road, saw him, and passed by the other side. Likewise, by chance, a Levite arrived. And when he arrived at the place, came, looked, and passed him on the other side of the road. And so there's two instances here where he speaks about one, the Levites represent the law, priests, the least represents religion. And so he says, as this man is laying there, you've got to get the physical thing of what's happening here, because this is a story of our Christian walk. This is not a story that went on a road, that happened on a road. But he says what happened is that, is that as the man was laying there half dead, trying to find out what it is, 
the first person that comes along and sees him there is a priest. And we know that priest speaks about religion. And amazingly, the word of God says that the priest just passes by on the other side. What is he saying? Religion can't save us. Religion can't save us. Then he comes back on and he says, and there's another thing that you've got to understand. Secondly, the Levite walks past. And also by chance. And what he's speaking about? Religion. Religion can't save us. Religion and law had him pass by. Religion and law had him passed by. And you know what the most thing is? It says that by chance. You see, this is the problem when we want to deal with law and we want to deal with religion. Most of what we deal with is by chance. It's by chance. It's, it's, it's by chance that the devil will come and condemn you. It's by chance that the law will condemn you. They think you're an unrighteous woman and you're all this and you're that and you're that and you're that. And we've got to get this in our head. That whenever we look at the law, whenever we look at, at religion, those two things are not the things that are going to get you into the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the lawyer right from the beginning says, he's a lawyer, he says, so what do I do to inherit eternal life? He says, love the Lord God with your heart, with your mind, with your soul, and love your neighbor yourself. That's all. Isn't that what the law says? He says, yeah, the law says, well, he says, go do it. Because if you believe that that's going to get you eternal life, then you can do what needs to be done. Then the word carries on and he says this. He says, but, but a certain Samaritan, again, identifying a Samaritan. Who is the Samaritan speaking about Jesus? Why? Who was the nation that was rejected by the Jews? The Samaritans. And so he speaks about himself. But listen to this. Listen to this. I love this part. He says, um, he says, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, as he journeyed, you see, Jesus is not by chance. Jesus didn't come to earth by chance. Jesus didn't come as part of something he needed to do. It was part of his journey. Salvation for you and me was part of his journey. Salvation for me and you was part of his plan. For you and I to live in the abundance and the according of the purpose and the plans that God has was not by chance. It was a journey that Jesus embarked on to improve your life. Yeah. Let me tell you something. You do not meet Jesus by chance. You know, a lot of people say, oh, I gave my life to Jesus. No, 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 no. Jesus hunted you down. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Oh, uh, uh, you gave nothing. You gave nothing, buddy. You know, there's absolutely, don't tell me you gave your life to Jesus. You gave nothing. Jesus gave his life that you could come into his presence. Yeah. Yeah. It's not by chance. There's no such thing as a chance. This is a journey that he's on. And listen to it, he carries on, he says, he carries on, he says, as he journeyed and came to where he was. Did you find Jesus? No, no. No, no, no. The word says, he came to where you were. Come on, let's, let's just take a minute. Let's think about your salvation. Let's think about the months and days leading up to your salvation. What it is that you journeyed. What is it that you went through? You know, everyone else, even myself, and I've told you so many times, but before we came to Christ, we went through the worst crisis in our lives. In fact, we hated God and were angry with Him, and it is why He hates such a word, but, but we were angry with God, we were angry with what had happened in our lives, we were angry with what had happened with our kids. And like I said, the more I ran from God, the more He ran after me. And I, you know, I didn't give Him a laugh to me, He cornered me. He just said to me, buddy, this is not as bad as you think it is. And we had to journey that kind of stuff. But he came to where I was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. Let me tell you something. When he saw you, he had compassion. There was nothing in this world that moved Jesus more than his compassion that he had for you. 
and for the love that he was about to think. But he carries on and he says this. He says, So he went to him, bandaged him, fixed up his wounds, and pouring out oil, speaking about the anointing of God, the wine speaks about the blood of Jesus that will save us. God is going to get this. Yeah. This, is, this is really exciting stuff here. He's actually physically telling the story to this lawyer and he's saying, this is how things are going to be. If you hear what I've got to say to you, listen to me. I'm giving you exactly a preview of what your life is going to be. He said, there's going to be a place where you're off there, where I'm going to come to you while I'm traveling and I'm going to banish your wounds. That's what he did for all of us. He banished our wounds. What else did he do? He gave us the blood of Jesus. What? That cleanses us from all our sins and iniquities. He heals us from all our sickness and diseases. He pours on the oil, the anointing of God is pouring upon us. But he carries on and he says this. And he said to him on his own animal, on his own animal. In what is he saying? He said that Jesus will carry us in a time of recovery. You see, this is where often I think we as Christians we struggle is that we want to give our life to Jesus today and we believe that everything is okay tomorrow. But we don't understand that there's still anger we're dealing with. There's still hatred in our heart. There's, there's still a lot of things that are happening. And that was so amazing this week that as we saw South Africa pulled together and I remember there was a video of a guy in a wheelchair, you know, sweeping the floor. There was, there was pictures all over the place of a taxi association. I mean, whoever thought? Taxi association coming to our rescue, you know? Um, and crazes and communities barricading their places. It was madness. But it was a pulling together, it was a coming together of, of our nation. And, he came, and, and that's what Jesus exactly did. He put him on his own animal. And you can understand that when you give love to God, or you go through some tough stuff, or you feel like you don't want to do church anymore, you don't believe in God anymore, and you want to walk away, he's going to meet you in your place. One, he's going to give you the oil. Two, he's going to give you the wine. Two, he's going to absolutely banish you. But four, he says, in a sense, I will carry you to the place that I prepared for you. It's an interesting thing, though, because the Word of God says that this Samaritan then takes him, all right, to the inn, and he says, take care of him. The crazy thing, who's the inn? The church. This is a prophetic picture of the church. Jesus said, the prophetic picture, he says, I'm going to meet them on the road. I'm going to meet them in the time of crisis. I'm going to meet them when they're hurting. I'm going to meet them when they go through tough time. He says, I'm going to sort them out. I'm going to die in Calvary from the blood. I'm going to pour out the oil of my pouring the Holy Spirit upon the last. I'm going to heal their wounds. I'm going to carry them to the end. But I'm going to leave them with the church. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the story changes. Because all of a sudden, the church is going to say, but who's our neighbor? Who do we take care of? Do we take care of only believers now? Do we take care of non-believers? Um, do we take care of those that, that, that all of a sudden denounce God completely? Who is our neighbor? And that's why the learned man right away said, well, who's our neighbor? Who, who is our neighbor? Is it black, white, colored, Indian, whatever? Who is our neighbor? And the main question is, Jesus doesn't mention any of this. He basically says, anyone that you prepare to love and have compassion on is your neighbor. You see, when we get rid of color and agenda and ethnic inequality, and we think, but it's easy for me to say, but when we get rid of those things, the heart of who we really are comes in. But there's this thing that he leaves us, and he says, guys, guys, I'm going to leave him with you at the church. I'm going to take care of him. The problem is, is that most of the churches take care of the church. And we've forgotten that there's a place now where everyone is healed, 
And yet, you read this parable, Jesus says, no, no, I'm going to send you those that are broken. And as I send you those that are broken, I'm going to send them into your care, and there's responsibility on you as a church to take care of you. And the word of God says the next day, we need to part, and I love this part, we need to part to our two dineros, which is two days' wages. So not only did he carry him, not only did he wound him, fix up his wounds, not only did he drop him off for the church or the inn, he pays. And so denario is a day's wages, which basically works up to 2,000 years, in a sense. A day, a day like a thousand years in the kingdom of heaven. But he carries on like this and he says, Give me two denarius, give him them to the innkeeper and say to him, Take care of him, listen, and whatever you spend, whatever you spend, he says, when I come again. You're not getting goosebumps. You see, we don't get it. He's coming back. He's coming back to the inn. Because that's what he says. He says that if there's extra money, I'm coming back to the inn to make sure that this man was taken care of and did he heal. And if he healed, what is the debt that I owe? Because it doesn't matter what debt the man leaves behind, I've covered it completely on the cross of Calvary. There's nothing that can separate this man from the love that he has in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Doesn't matter what this man done. He left him in the care. But I love that part where he says that if I return. No, no, no. He says, and when I return. You know, we get that. We've we, we got a lot of end time teaching going on at the moment. And we've got a lot of things like this is the apocalypse and you know, the vaccine is the mark of the beast and all this crazy stuff that's going on. You know, at the end of the day, it's so simple that the word of God says there's broken people out there that don't know where they are. And I think we miss this. We miss the importance of who we are as believers. We miss the importance of who we are as fellowship. I think the, one of the most moving um, things that, I, that I've seen in the past weeks, and I was, I was sharing with the guys last week, I watched the, um, uh, the Chosen, the second series. And there's this, there's this one scene, all right, where Jesus is sitting in this little tent, and there's just these lines and lines and lines of people. And Jesus is sitting, and he's just healing them one after the next, and they say, oh, he healed me, he healed me. The disciples are busy moaning about how long the queue is, how long the people are going to be, or oh, is this going to be a whole day thing, you know, do we need to get them food? And then, and then this, this camera pans to the fire, where the disciples, Matthew and Peter, and them, are fighting amongst themselves, and they're just arguing about who's this in the kingdom, and who did this, and you said this, and you betrayed me, and it's this mess. And as this mess is taking place around the fireplace, in the background, you see Jesus walk towards his tent, physically exhausted and broken, so tired that he's not able to take his shoes off that Mary gets up and she goes to her son and she takes his shoes off and she starts to wash his feet. And I thought to myself, in that moment, I became so emotional because I thought, this is exactly where we are as a church. We're so busy moaning about how long the queue is going to be and how long this is going to carry on for. And we're so busy moaning and fighting amongst ourselves. And yet the guy that is doing all the work is absolutely exhausted in the background. We've lost focus. We lost focus on the church. We lost focus on what it is that God is calling you and I to do. And then he carries on and he says, now we'll replay. Verse 36 says, so which of these do you think was neighbor to him who fell amongst the thieves? And he said, 
you showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. You know, there's this little commandment that he leaves us there. Go and do likewise. And often as I, I preach so many times in the scripture, but I, but I just, I, I, I thought about that last closing line, go and do likewise. And I think so often we miss that. We miss what God is really saying to us. I think we get so caught up in our own little bubble. And at times we are. At times we're the priest. Yeah. And let me tell you something. There's been times where I've been the priest. Yeah. You know, and walked past and did the religious stuff. You know, then when I saw a man in a wheelchair, I was quick and walk past and go, I'm going to pray for you, buddy. No, 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 no. Go and pray for him. There's so many times where, you know, we're according to the law, you know, we don't want to do anything, blah, 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 blah. And sometimes the law and religion is a great excuse for not to live in the destiny that God has for us. Because see, by, by, by religion says that if you read your Bible well, but religion says that if you pray three, four times a day, that if you give your tithes and offerings to the church, that if you just love your neighbor and feed them, you know, that's all fine. Religion doesn't tell me that I need an intimate relationship with Jesus. The law gives me this list of things I need to do to get into that relationship. And Jesus says, you don't need that list of law and you don't need that part of religion. All you need is Him. And, and I want to leave that challenge with you this morning, church. What does that look like? Because let me tell you something. You were the one that fell amongst robbers. You were the one that the enemy robbed, stole from and destroyed. You were the one that the Samaritan Jesus Christ found on the road. He's the one that returned you back to the presence of God. You see, it wasn't by chance. And I love the way it says this. And this is my interpretation. This is my interpretation, okay? Because my interpretation says... That, that when the Levite and the priest came, they passed by on the other side of the road. Now, now you know when you ride on the road, in South Africa you were riding on the left. Mm -hmm. so, so, so he's saying to me, the priest and the Levite were traveling in the same direction on the same side. Why? Because they had to cross over to get past the man. But they say Jesus, or the Samaritan, on his journey. Found him. It doesn't say to me to pass. It's almost like he walked into him because Jesus was coming from Jericho and he was busy recruiting for Jerusalem. Yeah. And I think that's where we've got to catch this thing. That doesn't matter where we come from. We've all been our Jerichos. We've all lived in the world. We've all done the crazy stuff. But I tell you something, on our journey toward Jerusalem, towards the presence of God, God is calling you and I to be the Samaritan. To be the one that loves, to be the one that nurtures, to be the one that takes care of, to be the one for those in a time of need and a time of crisis. And I want to say this to you in closing. Don't stop praying for our church. Don't stop praying for our leaders. Don't stop praying for our nation. Don't stop praying for what is happening. Because already people think, oh, but this is the start of something. No, no. Yes, this is the start of something. Because let me tell you something. Uh, and I want to say this with all respect to all the pastors and all the Christians out there. What you saw happen this week is revival. Yeah. Mm. You see, we want revival to break out in our church buildings. We want people to fall over and climb out of wheelchairs. Let me tell you something. The word of God says, but two or three are gathered in my name. Yeah. There I am in the midst of them. When a nation comes together, yeah. there was this one scene of this story that was absolutely looted. And this woman just walked up to the piano and started to play out great as I got on it. I mean, I get emotional just thinking about it again. But that's the tenacity of who we are as believers, church. Yeah. That in the midst of chaos, I, I wish I could take a photo of it. I mean, there was just this piano 
plant in the middle of these of these hangers of these of what were the storage units that there was chaos. And I think, my God, oh my Lord, I want to be that woman, you know, that just walks through the mess, doesn't see the chaos, walks up to the piano and says, you know what, I don't care what I see, but it's only what I know. And my know is this, that when I praise God, things change. Mm-hmm. She played that piano in the midst of chaos. And I want to say to you, maybe you should stop playing your piano in the midst of chaos right now. Maybe you should not look around what's happening around you and think how bad things are. You know, the problem with our nation is this, is that we speak more death into our nation than we speak life into our nation. And it's time as believers that we become the Samaritan that God has called you and I to be. Who is your neighbor? We're still seeing a lot of racial tension in our nation. Whether we like it or not, there's still a lot of black, white, Indian, colored, Muslim, Christian wars going on. And I think sometimes we're going to really search our hearts and go, who is our neighbor? And Jesus basically said a simple thing to him. Anybody that is broken, anybody that's in need, anybody that is wounded, and anybody that needs me, they're your neighbor. Yeah. And so God, I pray that you'd come this morning. I pray that you just move in our hearts and our lives. And Father, we love you. We love what you're doing in our nation. and We love what you're doing around this globe. But I want to pray this morning, Holy Spirit of God, that you just so for us, slow and flowing. May our hearts change this morning. May we not be like that lawyer that constantly wants just to justify his behavior. God, you must be so tired of us trying to justify our constant bad behavior. And Father, may we stop. Because you said a very simple thing. Love the Lord God, all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. Love your name yourself. Do this and you shall live. That's what you told me. And Father, may we learn to do this and live. In the midst of this, may we find so many good Samaritans out there that's going to change our nation. And we pray for revival. We pray, Father, that you break through. We pray for the church. We pray for pastors. We pray for our leadership. We pray for our president. We pray for everyone this morning. Father, that you would be glorified in the midst of this chaos. Because you're the God of more than enough. We pray for those that are sick. We pray for the peaceful family, Father Sandy, that lost their dad yesterday. We pray for those that are battling with COVID in our church, and not just in our church, but in our city, in our nation. Those that have lost loved ones, Father, it's, it's, it, our minds cannot comprehend. Never, never in the 50 odd years that I'm alive did I ever think that we would see happen what's happening in the nation right now. Yeah. But God. Yeah. But God. You are the God of more than enough. And we love you. And we follow believing you. We are called upon to your purpose. And I pray that you come. Just fill us overflowing this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, before we go offline, I just want to just encourage you guys. If anybody has prayer requests, just, you know, just put it up on the screen. Just put it up there in the comments. And, and we will take them down and we'll pray. You know, if you just feel this morning that, you know what, you need to just give your life to Jesus and recommit your life to Jesus. You know, send us a thumbs up. And they send us a thumbs up and, and, and we're going to pray with you and we're going to pray for you in the season we're in right now. If you guys go through difficult times, you just guys need prayer. You just write down something on there, what you need or what's up myself or Chantal or Kathy or Nicola or staff or the elders. And let us know what's happening right. Let us know your need. Because we can only pray into what it is that we know. Um, and I just want to continue to thank you guys for, for
for the building fund. I, I want you guys to tell think a look what's happening. It's really exciting. I walked around that, that building site and I know we haven't got the money to build. It's an absolute faith thing. It's like day by day we get money for bricks. <laughs> day by day we, we get money for a window. We haven't even thought of where the basins and the toilets are coming from. We don't know, you know, where the ceilings come from. We don't even know where the plaster was coming from. Um, but this week the electrician's coming in and he's going to start to put in um, the points and everything. And that's been amazing because that's been all for free. Um, a company has offered to do all of that for us. So continue to pray for the project. You know, somebody said to me, you know, why are we building in a time like this? And you also got to understand something. We're not building, they building per se. What we're building is we, our place where we can fellowship. We want the kitchen, we want the coffee, we want the bathrooms. That if we want to meet as a family, if we want to pry as a family, if we want to have a fund as a family, that those facilities are available. And we understand that we're not going to attempt a five million rand project right now in the midst of what is happening unless God releases the finances. But we just go from day to day. So I want to pray that you, I'll ask you, continue to pray into our building project, continue to give into the building project, continue to give into the church. As I said last week, I don't want to speak money, but we still have staff to pay. You know, we still got bills to pay, our glass still has to be cut, we still got to switch on the lights. So don't neglect to giving um, in the season of quietness right now. But our Father, I pray every person that's in need, every person that is sick this morning, and Father, every person that is struggling, Father, in their homes, in their, in their workplace, whatever it might be, may you come and comfort them at this time of need, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you guys. See you guys next week, 9 o'clock.